Are you curious about the threats you face online? Join the Cybercats once a month and get your paws dirty digging into technology and security. Get tech literate with Sarah, Nicole, and cybersecurity noob Victoria. We aren't kitting around about staying safe online. All right, so in today's episode, we're going to be discussing an array of topics, and we're going to look at things like the sponsored Instagram posts where, you know, people are trying to sell you vitamins or some pre-made shake for your workout, or, you know, what about those autofills on Google, those crazy, you know, autofills where you're like, oh, that is not what I was looking for. Um, And we'll also be talking about gamification and how this works on social media. So all of these things are tied together by one particular common thread. And that's how persuasive advertising can manipulate you and get you to maybe do something or look at something or think a certain way without you even realizing they're doing it. So all of us have heard about social media influencers, right? That's a thing. And kids today, like there are kids out there that if you say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Their answer is, I want to be an Instagram influencer or just an influencer in general, right? So that's a little weird. It's something that is fairly new, um, but it is something that exists because there are all of these different social media platforms and many of them have accounts where people specifically use their profiles and their followers in order to market and sell things. The big ones are things like beauty products, vitamins, supplements, fitness stuff, you know, a a lot of that. So that uh, lifestyle type products, those are big in the influencers market. But, you know, this is people using their self and their own brand and their own lifestyle through their accounts as a business right? To sell things, to endorse products. So it's, it's fairly lucrative for folks that are good at it. But I would say my first question, Victoria, is, is this something that you've (laughs) ever experienced? Have you ever bought anything online because of Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or some kind of post? Honestly, TikTok has convinced me to buy so many things. I literally have just like a list off Amazon. Everything I go on there now is because of TikTok. It's absolutely ridiculous. The amount of money I've spent just because somebody made a convincing video that's like, you really need to buy this product is ridiculous. <laughs> Are they beauty products or? Um, for me in particular, yes. Because like, so it's just like hair stuff, you know, yeah. whatever. You know, I can't figure out what to do. So people give advice and they're like, you should buy these products and you better believe I'm buying all those products. So, so TikTok is your go-to. Absolutely. Not Instagram. No. And why is that? I'm just curious. So with Instagram, it seems way too artificial at this point, Mm -hmm. to me at least. Like it's become commercialized? Yes, absolutely. People just go on Instagram to become influencers and Mm -hmm. then try to sell things to you. It's not really authentic anymore. Whereas TikTok videos, people are just going on there and talking. They're not really trying I don't know how to explain it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it feels, like you said, more authentic. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense to me. I think that, you know, when I go to buy something and I look at the reviews, you know, that's what I want. I want someone's honest opinion because I want to find the consumer that's like me and see what they thought about the product. Right. So it totally makes sense. Um, And 
you know, I'm not a TikTok user, so, <laughs> but I have seen plenty of TikTok videos. So mm-hmm. I get that. I think they are, in general, a little bit more authentic right now than Instagram. Right. Um, but that being said, you know, it's still something where I guess my mind goes to, well, Instagram wasn't always this very commercialized, you know, sponsored post type of environment. So is it a matter of time before TikTok gets there? And becomes less authentic, do you think? Absolutely. You've already seen it like starting to happen with influencers. Well, not influencers, but like with TikTok creators where basically they'll drop a sponsored post like with Bang Energy. So they'll make a video with the bang in there. And then you see in the bottom hashtag ad, you know, things like that. And it's becoming more and more common now. So these um, companies are realizing that TikTok is like the next ad industry right there. Okay. Yeah. So I I think that's interesting. I'll say, you know, my first, the first time I realized, I'm not going to call it a problem, but I'm going to say a phenomenon with the influencers and the ads and sponsor posts was in 2016. I remember that the Kardashian family in particular, because we're talking about social media and we don't mention the Kardashians, shame on us, right? (laughs) Um, But I remember they were almost sued because they didn't disclose sponsorships and affiliations with some of the posts. So they were, they had things out there. I think Kim, I I remember one specifically that Kim had where, you know, she was endorsing a product, but Mm -hmm. nowhere in the post did it mention that it was an ad or that she was being paid for it. So they actually got in trouble for that. And that's the first time I remember really being, um, I guess, aware of the fact that these social media platforms are being used in a very real way as a marketing platform. So, you know, we're talking about Instagram influencers. These are people and they're, you know, sharing their opinions and they're being paid to do so. And that's obviously pretty convincing for you, right, Victoria? Absolutely. Um, (laughs) But what about big companies? So if individuals can do it, then, you know, what about big corporations, companies? How does that really play in? So this is something where we have to dig a little deeper than social media. So... What do you use every day, Victoria, when you have a question? Google. Right. We all do. I do. Google's become a verb. Like, I Googled it. Well, it's it's so sad because I actually have, um, what is it? What's the main one? The search engine that they always tell you to use that's, like, super safe. DuckDuckGo? DuckDuckGo oh. is my homepage, and I okay. literally <laughs> go to Google because oh, wow. I can't stand it. Wow. <laughs> so I try. It's just one extra step for me to get there, though. Yeah. So <laughs> search engines, whether you use Google or, should I say it, Bing, oh. or something else, <laughs> no hate for Bing, just, you know, like don't go there. Um, But regardless of what search engine you use, there are functions in the search engines that optimize results and curate things. So the reason Google is what it is today is because of the way their algorithm combed through indexed pages and chose what to show you, right? So, you know, Google has refined it. They have this very, you know, good algorithm. And it's something that we have to be aware of because with a search engine and the algorithm it's using, you have to understand if someone has created that algorithm in that search engine, then it could be controlled by whoever owns that that algorithm and that search engine. So what we're going to talk about for a little bit here is search engine manipulation. 
So we need to start by talking about some published research uh, done by a psychologist by the name of Robert Epstein. No relation to Jeffrey <laughs> Epstein. I, no relation at all. Just happens to have the same last name as uh, a deceased billionaire person. So different person. This is a psychologist. Um, he's a leading expert on psychological effects of search engines um, and how they you know, impact or manipulate you. So something he has looked at specifically is uh, you know, how these different search engines can be used and how those uh, optimizations or autofills or the page results, how those manipulate you uh, by showing you different things. So something he specifically noted was that 95% or so of Silicon Valley belongs to the same political party. So if you think about that, that means that there are a lot of people in charge of a lot of things in the technology realm, whether these are search engines or social media platforms or what have you, um, but they all have a similar political affiliation. And so what this means is that regardless of what party that happens to be, we have to think about how those individuals that control the search engines and what the search engines are showing you, how this fits into preserving democracy, really. So, you know, something I think that, that's interesting here is uh, the EU, the European Union, fined Google $2.7 million, uh, sorry, billion dollars for having biased search results. So it was showing people things that were biased rather than, you know, just purely off of, uh, you know, a, an unbiased algorithm. So we have 10 different um, methods of manipulation that you just need to be wary of. And then the first one that we actually really want to point out is search engine manipulation effect. The impact of these ordered search results have on thinking and behavior is immense. So you're going to look at the top of the page and be like, well, this is a lot more accurate than the bottom of the page. Because mm -hmm. obviously if it's at the top, it's, it's the number the one. Relevant. Right. Exactly. But that's not the case. Right. And what's funny is I think if you really think into that, usually the very first thing you see is an ad. It's it always a little sponsored. Thing. It's an ad, Absolutely. sponsored ad. So it makes you go, okay, well, obviously that is not based on relevance. That's based on someone paid to get that at the top of the search results. Mm -hmm. But then you think a level deeper, well, what is naturally at those top, you know, at the top of those search results? Well, what I find um, startling about it that I don't know that everyone realizes is based on you, your browsing history, the profile you're signed into, where you're at, all of these different variables, the search results you get are going to be vastly different than someone else's search results for the same term. So I think this is probably the best way to demonstrate how, you know, what you are being showed can potentially manipulate you. Because what you're being showed and that ordering is derived from other information. So it's not unbiased. Um, but like you said, the way they're ordered tends to, um, you know, who goes past page two? Let's be real. Do you go past page two? I don't go past page one. See? <laughs> if it's on page I, two, I, I you're Google not seeing something it. different if it's not on the first page. <laughs> fair. Fair. Um, so, you know, that's something that we, we just need to be aware of and remember that we're not really looking at the top of the page and the ordering here in terms of relevance. What you're seeing is more so the search engine's algorithm and their assumptions about what they think you want to see and what they want you to click on. I mean, those are really the two factors that we're talking about there. Um, so 
Another one that I find interesting, Victoria, I want to talk about the search suggestion effect. Yes. That one is Oh my gosh. Weird. It's weird, right? So this is where, and we've all experienced it, you start typing something into a search bar and then it suggests the, you know, the end of that sentence or the end of the phrase or question or something like that, right? So with, with those types of things, the search engine company um, can turn to a 50-50 split. So it's kind of like in marketing, what they call an A-B test, where they take one, one particular ad, they show it to this group, that's group A, they take a different ad and they show it to group B to test which is better. So I think that that's something interesting where we can see 50-50 split among people where they're not sure, you know, which side they fall on. So I'm not sure what you want to see, so I'm going to flip a coin. But then, you know, based on what I know about you, again, going back to where you're logged in, your profile information, what you commonly look at, cookies, all of that stuff, I may know enough to give you something different. So I may have a different, um, you know, a different autofill suggestion for you based on some some knowledge that I have. So in this case, we may have, um, you know, maybe if we're looking at voters, for example, a different split of what you're seeing when you start typing something um, and that autofill comes in. So have you ever noticed that when you are trying to Google the same thing as someone else, their auto suggestions are completely different than yours? Yes, yeah, so- specifically my husband and I, <laughs> which, you know, you would think you, you live in the same household, right? You you share some opinions, not all opinions, mm-hmm. um, but it is definitely interesting. You can specifically tell between the two of us, depending on the device or, you know, like whose profile we're on. You can kind of tell he doesn't get the same autofills like mine or I don't know how to put this lightly, more girly. <laughs> like the assumption is I'm going to be looking for something that's woman oriented or mom oriented. So mm-hmm. it's kind of startling to me that, you know, that is the automatic assumption. It's like they may not know a lot about me, but they know I'm a woman and they know I'm a mom. Right. <laughs> and so I think even just that is enough to color the results to kind of, you know, push something in front of me that yeah. my husband's not seeing. Mm hmm. I mean, I was watching The Social Dilemma the other day, right? Mm-hmm. And they used this example in their, um, p- not podcast, what is it? Um, docu- mockumentary, doc- documentary. Documentary. Drama, do- drama documentary, that's what it was. It's a drama documentary. A drama documentary. Yeah. So it was super interesting because they mentioned like climate change. If you typed it into your search result based on your profile and your region and everything, your top result would be like autofill climate change is a hoax. But mm-hmm. then for someone in California, climate change is real. You know, or the world is coming is dead, to an dangerous. end. Right, 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 right. It's completely different. So this algorithm is just mind-blowing. And I, so when I, when I watched The Social Dilemma, um, you know, because I remember that, and I thought what was interesting was how they looked at, you know, you might ask yourself, well, why would I be feeding someone information that confirms their pre-existing biases or ideas. Well, it's simple because they want to keep you online. Mm -hmm. And that was really like a strong theme in that documentary drama was, you know, the industries make money by keeping you engaged, right? Because you can't sell ads to someone. um, You know, you you can't sell ads to a, a company if you can't show that people are engaging on your website and staying on your website and clicking into ads. And so these big tech companies, whether these are search engines or social media, have to find ways to really make sure 
sure they keep us online, keep us engaged. And usually if you start getting stuff that you don't believe in, you turn away, you go find something else, right? You're like, I don't want to hear any of that. Honestly, I go into (laughs) rabbit holes. I'm like, well, let's see what they're talking about. And that's how they get you as well, though. Yeah. You know, those rabbit holes, like, let's see how crazy this is going to get. And by the end of it, you're going to be believing that birds aren't really real anymore at this point. (laughs) (laughs) You're telling me you're close to becoming a flat earther? Not a flat earther, but you know, those birds have all been replaced. (laughs) I saw a convincing TikTok video the other day to the point where I was questioning it. And then I was like, oh my God, wait, this is the joke. Like this is like Josh had just shown it to me the other day, warned me about it. And then I saw the video and I was like, it's real. It's real. For sure. It's real. (laughs) Uh, So yes. Um, So Again, big tech companies have a lot of different methods of kind of manipulating people. So, Victoria, talk to us about targeted me- the targeted messaging effect. Yeah, so the impact that targeted message um, messages are um, can have on some people but not others. So, like, imagine um, if Instagram, like, we all just had this election, right? Every time you logged on to it, you would see hey, you need to go vote. But imagine if they only did that for one political party. Mm-hmm. Now that's definitely going to produce a shift, but mm-hmm. there's no way to check for it. Right. Yeah, and that's something, and I think voting is a great example of there are some pretty specific real-life consequences of targeting a specific population over another. Mm-hmm. So to your point, if you're telling people to register and go vote and it's from one particular demographic or political party and not the other then, I mean, I would say it's logical to conclude that you would have a higher um, rate of newly registered or participating voters from that population. I think that that's fairly logical. So, you know, when we look at targeted messaging, um, have you heard of geofencing? No. No? So that is something in marketing that is used quite quite frequently and quite widely. And I will tell you one kind of funny example of geofencing that someone shared with me. Um, With geofencing, think about, you know, geo being where you are geographically and fencing, meaning I'm putting limits around it. And so in marketing, when you do geofencing, you're looking at targeting a specific area by where you are, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine you are... Um, we'll say downtown near, uh, you know, a Starbucks, um, the types of ads or types of displays or types of things that you see on your social media, um, or whatever platform you're using may be specific to that particular location and proximity. Maybe that Starbucks has paid for geofencing targeted ads to get people to come across the street and buy coffee, Right. So funny thing, and and this is where I'm going back to the story that someone told me. This is kind of on a political note, but it was in a local type, a local type of uh, election. It wasn't recently. Um, there was a particular candidate that did not win in the race that they won for, but their political team, um, they didn't have enough money for advertising, um, so they did what they could. But in order to placate the politician, they geofenced his house and workplace so that he specifically would see in his own feeds ads about himself so that it appeared to him as if everyone saw a lot of information about him. 
But the thing is, if you're geofencing that guy's house and that guy's work, yeah, of course he's going to see ads about himself. But again, this campaign didn't have the funds to geofence larger areas. So they did the areas they found critical, but they included his residence and workplace to give, you know, to placate him, to make sure that he felt that, you know, they were they were doing an adequate job marketing. Now, I'm not saying any of that is right or wrong. I'm just saying it's kind of funny. Oh my that, God, that's crazy. <laughs> that, that happened. And, you know, if you kind of think about that, like that was done in in such a way that, you know, again, this person at home had a certain belief about what other people were seeing. I think that that's fairly fair to say that, you know, when you are out and you're getting ads, you're not necessarily thinking about factors like geofencing, right? About like what companies have, you know, paid to have their ads targeting you just because of where you are. Say you're at a dealership, right? And a competing uh, dealership that's across town has geofenced that dealership to try to pull money away, right? So you're at the dealership, you're browsing and you're Googling information about a particular model of car that you're looking at at this dealership, and you get an ad about a place across town that has a special. Well, you're going to go down there and try out one of their cars, right? So again, geofencing, like, incredibly effective if done correctly, but it's one of those things that if you really look deeply at it, it's, um, it's kind of strange to think about. Yeah. (laughs) That's blowing my mind right now. That's okay. So (laughs) the next thing that we're going to talk about is the opinion matching effect. And so this is something that, uh, is, is, tied along to a lot of the things that we've already been talking about. So this is the impact on people's thinking and their behavior that occurs when the online service that they're using recommends a course of action after asking some sort of question. So again, for example, going back to a political campaign, this was an election year, we went through that. So an online matching service asks people about their political views, right? So that's that's how we prime you. We ask you for those views. Then, based on the answers, we can recommend which candidate you vote for. So is this something, Victoria, that you've... Did you see any of that during this election year? Did you participate Absolutely. in anything like I that? actually, I tested it out to see how accurate it would be, uh-huh. you know, at least for me. So if you go to a website called I Side With, you literally answer a bunch of questions about your political views and how strongly you feel about them. And then at the end of it, it comes out with, hey, this is who you should vote for, which to me is mind-blowing because we have a lot of undecided voters out mm-hmm. there. And instead of them doing their own research, you know, you come up with a website that you don't know if it's legitimate research that they've done or if they're just trying to push you towards And you don't know what funding is behind that. Right. Who's paying for what. I mean, it's very, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's kind of, that's kind of startling. But I think that goes back to, it's not so much about giving you fair, unbiased information. It's about keeping you engaged and online and making sure, (laughs) making sure that, you know, whatever it is that, I think will keep you in in that in that thought process and keep you engaged. I'm doing right because mm-hmm. that means that those folks on one side or the other of the political campaign have more reason to use a platform to pay for a service to engage with that provider. I guess. So Victoria, shadow banning is another thing that has come up and. It's been happening a lot lately. So this is basically the practice of suppressing a message or a tweet or some information that people are sending to other people. So talk to us a little bit about this shadow banning trend. Right. So you see it a bunch on TikTok, actually. Like, that's where they bring light to it. 
So you have a favorite content creator and then they disappear for a month or two and you're like, wow, I wonder where they've gone. And then you see a video and they're like, hey, I've been shadow banned and I have no idea what's going on or what I've done. So now TikTok is picking and choosing creators like, hey, you've broken the guidelines. They don't give specific reasons. It's super general. And sometimes they don't even alert them that they've been shadow banned. Their views just go significantly down, which is actually pretty crazy because who is making these decisions? Mm -hmm. I think it ties into the idea of programmed virility and the digital bandwagon effect. Yes. I think that they almost Mm -hmm. are related and interdependent. And so what this bandwagon effect is, uh, is it's very simple. The idea is that a big platform that's hosting all of this has the ability to accelerate or suppress. So when we're talking about shadow banning, we're looking at suppressing views, Mm -hmm. images, um, tweets, whatever. But they also have the ability not only to to suppress, but to accelerate it by showing it to more and more people or to tweaking algorithms to get it in front of different people or to get it in front of more people. So often when a video goes viral, it's pretty clear why. There's something funny happened, something embarrassing, or something super adorable like a cute puppy video. Oh, it's going to go with kittens. (laughs) Meow. Come on. Victoria's Cybercats. I messed up on that. Off-brand. Off-brand. Um, But it's a lot harder to explain why specific people go viral. So look at Charlie D'Amelio. She's a super famous TikToker. She has the most followers on the platform. And as of this morning, she had 99.4 million. I mean, how old is she? I want to say 16 now. Wow. She's super young, but Mm -hmm. it's crazy because she has almost 100 million people watching her. Mm -hmm. And for what? Like it started because she duetted somebody doing a dancing video. So she did the dance herself, you know, and it's like, what is Just, going on? Yeah, that's a one in a million. Like there's so many of those on TikToks. Right. What made it special? Exactly. Was it that amazing? And the funny thing is even her profile, um, her little bio stated, don't worry guys, I don't get it either. So something happened, Mm -hmm. something happened, whether it was maybe an accident or, you know, just something, maybe it piggybacked along with something else that was getting, who knows, something happened that accelerated her views and her associations and her followers, and it became a bandwagon effect. So what that means is that, you know, well, all of these other people follow her, so I have to follow her too because you know, if that many people are following her, then she's worth following. Right. You have to stay in the know. Right. How else are you going to learn your TikTok dances? FOMO. Fear of missing out. (laughs) Nobody says that anymore. (laughs) Oh, just like no one uses Facebook, but we're going to talk about the Facebook effect. (laughs) (laughs) So the impact of the Facebook effect, um, presently the large social media platform, well, it's the largest social media platform in the world has on people's opinions and behavior. So Facebook can affect election outcomes in at least five different ways. Yeah, and these are pretty specific. And so, again, looking at the fact that it was an election year, Mm -hmm. you know, that that happened. But we have to remember that we will see another election year in four years. Right. We are going to have local elections, you know, more, more frequently. And it's something that you can't forget right? You can't let four years go by before you start thinking about this again. Because it's not just elections. It's really everything. It's everything, everything every everyday day. life. Right. Like so, you have to see how you're being manipulated. Right. So it's like an election is a really important 
you know, thing. Mm -hmm. But if this is, if it's something that's equally as important, such as passing a a critical legislature, right? Or, um, you know, just anything that deals with the direction of our country, you have to kind of be aware of the way that these things are being manipulated on these platforms. So specifically with Facebook, um, they can bias what what it's trending. Um, the news feed itself, the biasing in the news feed is very common. I'm sure a lot of people have actually experienced that if they use Facebook. Um, and then, you know, they also encouraged people during this election year to look for election related material in the search bar. And then, you know, you mentioned earlier those reminders about registering to vote. When we are targeting populations and asking them to, you know, register to vote or reminding you to vote, um, that kind of becomes something that has a a huge amount of power behind it to sway the uh, outcome of certain situations or decisions that, that we're facing. So that kind of ties into, you know, not just what you are being shown and what you're being targeted, you know, with, but also the things that you're not seeing. Right. So censorship is a big thing that we have to be aware of. Um, When we talk about censorship, there are countries out there where the entirety of the Internet is censored. Right. So they have a network that is kind of cordoned off from the rest of the world. So China, for example, in China, you're not going to have the same access to the information that you would have in America. It's just the way they run that particular, you know, they run the network and they filter certain things. Um, But suppressing content is something, you know, we think about China and Russia and and how they, or North Korea, and how those types of regimes suppress information. And we think, well, this is America, you know, there's no censorship going on. But the thing is, when we're talking about platforms that are privately owned, this leaves us with, well, actually, according to, you know, freedom of speech and I can do what I want, I can censor things. So that's when we have to look at these different platforms that we use and rely on and how they may be sponsored or sorry, uh, suppressing content in favor of a particular viewpoint that's in line with their belief systems, um, you know, their CEO, their staff, uh, or just, you know, the way they feel like the, the world should be going. So that's something that's incredibly, uh, in- incredibly common that we just don't think about as much. For example, with social media, you know, we've been talking about political posts, but besides from what they are showing you, you have to think about what they're not showing you, right? And I don't remember if I shared this on a past podcast, but it was so striking. I know I've shared it with you personally that I'll bring it up again. Um, my husband decided to play a little trick on me. And this ties into (laughs) not only, you know, censorship, but also targeted marketing, right? He decided to play a little trick on me. So I'm not going to disclose my particular political views, uh, but I will say that I have a distinct political view that would side with certain news organizations and beliefs as opposed to the other, right? I think that's common, you know, you're Mm -hmm. one side or the other. There's moderates, and I would consider myself moderate in some respects, but I have a fairly, you know, clear view on one side of the fence. Well, he subscribed me on YouTube, under my profile, he got into my phone and subscribed me to some news uh, networks and uh, commentators on the other side, okay? So this was prior to the election. And when I was watching some things on YouTube before he did this, I kept on seeing ads for my preferred political candidate, which I thought was interesting because I thought, well, you don't have to advertise to me. I'm already voting for you, buddy, right? <laughs> like that's, yeah, I absolutely. mean, cool. Like, thanks for the ad, 
got it. I'm already on your side. Well, then after my husband subscribed me to these news networks and correspondents that had different views, my ads changed dramatically, instantly. And I noticed it. I started getting ads for the other candidate. And I thought, wow, like that's that's crazy. And I actually... Um, I noticed the ads immediately and then, you know, he laughed about it and he told me like the very next day, he was like, did you notice anything? And I was like, what, what do you mean? And then when he told me, I put two and two together and I was like, wow, it's that, it was that quick that in one night, the views and the ads that I got, the political ads that I got were drastically different. So I think that that is kind of a great just real-world example of how what you subscribe to can drastically alter what you see on a daily basis, regardless of the platform you're operating on. So, you know, that's kind of a part of um, what we call the digital customization effect, right? Right. So the digital customization effect is the increased impact on people's opinions and behaviors that occurs when manipulations are customized to match needs, preferences, and backgrounds of individual users. So think back to like that Google search bar when you're typing things in there. That's digital customization right there as well. Mm -hmm. And it's all a part of that, you know, that idea that Google or uh, Microsoft or Facebook or any of these large digital content providers or, you know, social media platforms have amassed a incredibly large amount of information on you based on the different things that you have looked at while on their platforms, information that's in your profile, places that you've been, uh, things that you've purchased. You know, I mean, when you think about, and I think we talked about this before, when you think about buying things online, when, and I have a Gmail account, for example, when that receipt comes to my Gmail, well, that free inbox that I have through Gmail, they can see the receipts and what I've purchased. So even if it's, you know, even if it's not directly, <laughs> you're laughing, you're just like, oh no, Google does know everything. They really do. They really do. Like they know what I bought on Amazon because the receipt goes to my Gmail. It's all interconnected. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Yeah, so so that's just one of those things where with the amount of information they've amassed, it is it is actually hard for me to imagine them not using that information to customize your experience in order to keep us online, keep us engaged. Because the more we look at our phone, the more often we're online, the more often we're you know using that app, the more profitable they are because they're able to sell more ads and more targeted you know marketing. I mean, um, and it was, I think, maybe a year or so ago, but I read a statistic and it was something like the average American looks at their phone 52 times a day. Well, you know those weekly activity reports that the iPhone gives you now? You nope, how, don't have an iPhone. You know how devastating that is? <laughs> My weekly activity report, I'm like, oh, I'm not that bad this week. Oh, eight hours a day. That's no big deal. Oh, wow. Are you serious? I don't even know how, but apparently I spent eight hours a day looking at my phone. So I can believe that because, you know, I'm I'm guilty. I think we're all, I'm not going to play innocent here. I may not have, you know, the same social media platforms that you have, but I do have, you know, certain 
Oh, addictions. <laughs> oh. You know, like there's there's some YouTube, there's some YouTubers that I do subscribe to. I like to see that content and, you know, I'll go and check up. Just like I have, um, you know, I have my preferred news feed. Like I have the app on my phone and every morning I'll drink my cup of coffee and look at the news feed. Do I understand that that news feed is probably slightly biased towards my views? Yes, I do. I acknowledge that. And that's okay because that's what I want to see in the morning when I'm <laughs> drinking my coffee is, is the things that I want to see, right? But I think that it's healthy to acknowledge those things. Um, so yeah, you know, acknowledging how much you use your phone is, I think, a, a really important step into understanding how you can be swayed by these different platforms and the way you're being targeted with information. Um, but, you know, that's kind of an everyday activity. What about gamification? Do you play an online game like on your phone or, you know, something on a PlayStation 4 or 5 or, you know, is that something you do? Because that's a really common pastime. Are there any games that you play, Victoria? Um, I, I just got the Switch because of the pandemic. Really? I did. Okay. I play Zelda. Aw. I know. That's cool. <laughs> I'm a big nerd, and I, you may not know this um, game, but it's called Skyrim. Oh, Very yeah. fantasy dragons. Mm -hmm. I've been playing that since the original X, not that game, but like that series of games since the original Xbox, like not like Xbox, like the original. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it It's, you know, that's, that's, my, that's my game of choice. Um, but games are a great pastime. And it's just something that you can do to relax and kind of turn your brain off a little. But what's scary is, you know, if you're turning your brain off and then there's any kind of subliminal messaging or reinforcement or manipulation through that activity, I mean, that's just scary. So when we talk about the idea of gamification, what we're really looking at is not just these online games, but how the idea of playing a game and the intrinsic motivations that games create for you, how that's being used by, um, you know, digital content providers to keep us engaged, which, again, is just a strange, um, strange fact. So, like, this goes back to keeping people engaged, right? Large corporations um, tend to use games or gamify types of activities to engage people. And this can be something that is done to change their behavior. So, Victoria, you told me about Foursquare recently. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so I am a Yelp user, diehard Yelp user here. I have other friends that are like, did you Yelp it? Right. <laughs> you, you get free food out of it. Why not? <laughs> But with Foursquare, apparently it was really similar to Yelp as it would give you food recommendations and things to do. However, if you visited that place often enough and you were the most frequent person there, you could become the mayor of this location, right? So it created this little competitive edge and it actually made you feel like you had to go back to this place because you're like, I'm going to lose my mayorship. You know, someone's going to take over my little coffee genius. shop that's genius right absolutely but it was so bad at this point that they've actually had to get rid of it. it like it created that much speculation like people were like what is going on here wow and it's always used as examples when it comes to gamification because of how intense foursquare used this model yeah and you know there's other i think games that are 
actually, you know, very straightforward marketed as games that we could point out. Um, specifically, your uh, your geographic data collection is is something that is done primarily through these geotagging type games. Mm-hmm. So Pokemon Go, that was a big one. Um, I didn't play that, but I did play a game called Ingress. Um, I played it for a little while and then I got super creeped out and quit. And I will tell you this. I mean, I was playing it to the point where I was like, there's this certain level where if you get to it, like, you know, have certain perks and everything. I was like, I'm going to get to that level. And I got there and then I was like, this is getting weird. So I actually stopped playing it, and I haven't played it in a couple years. But did you play Pokemon Go at all? Absolutely. When it first came out, I mean, I was at that park almost every day, (laughs) walking laps, trying to get my Pokemons, right? And then it got so bad that I'd have my friend drive super slowly around neighborhoods. Yeah, because it gauges you if you're going too fast it knows you're in a car, and it's like, no, you can't do that. That's cheating. Right. So, and then, I mean, I'd try to, you know, be the gym Mm -hmm. trainer, the trainer, and get in charge of that, and it just wasn't working. And so I finally gave up just because it would drain my battery. Mm -hmm. But it's actually pretty crazy because it has access to your camera, everything, Mm -hmm. and it's literally collecting all of that data, Mm -hmm. like while you're walking around, you know, Mm -hmm. it's got the exact maps. It knows where every single house is. Like, it's just crazy. It's tracking you. It's it's kind of a weird thing if you really start thinking about Mm -hmm. it, which, yeah, that's one of the reasons I stopped. I think, you know, more so than the fact that it was, because I knew it was tracking me everywhere. But what I, personally, what what I quit over was the fact that I guess it's a cool feature, I suppose. I don't know. There's, I mean, obviously it's other people just like me and you that are playing this game and there were features in the game where you could, um, you know, talk to your, because in Ingress you're on a team. You're either on a blue team or the red team, or sorry, blue team or the green team. And you could talk to people on your team and, you know, like some people had like little groups that they would go and like capture an area with and um, being in an area and just kind of opening my game passively because I'm like waiting for an appointment and like, you know, capturing something and then having someone that in real life was like sitting within proximity of me, like send a message through the game, like, hey, want to get coffee? I'm like, oh, this just got too real, (laughs) right? Like that was my digital escape and now we're in the real world. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to not, I'm just going to stay in the real world. (laughs) Um, So that's something I quit, but you know, Fitbits, that's kind of an interesting one that you brought up. And we talked a little bit about this and you brought up something right. that I didn't even think about. Oh my about. God. So of course, everyone has these Fitbit competitions, right? So get your steps in. Right. There's your gamification right there. They're trying to get you to use the product. And now there's a competition aspect of it. But there's actually like a super um, big privacy concern with it. So there's soldiers that are deployed, you know, they're wearing their Fitbits mm-hmm. uh, like at their site. So now they're walking around because they only have this. You see the patterns of where they're going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Except for then you also have these blank spaces. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, okay, I know that this is like a deployed site. These blank blank spaces are obviously secure areas where they cannot have their devices with them. Mm -hmm. So now it creates an easy target because this data is just out there. Right. Which is terrifying. Yeah, so it's almost like it's the um it's the absence of the data mm-hmm. that yep. that paints the target, which is kind of scary. It's you're darned if you do and you're darned if you don't because right. I either know everywhere you're going or I know where you're not going, which I can extrapolate data from. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, very weird. That was something that, you know, we talked about and I just thought that is really um kind of a strange thing to think about in terms of, you know, it does feel good to you know, get your steps in and, and, you know, 
look out for your health and do these things, but there's some broader implications there. Um, so LinkedIn is another one that, you know, we should kind of look at from a gamification role. Um, so even from the beginning, when you're building your profiles in LinkedIn or, and a lot of other, you know, platforms, they're not mm-hmm. the only one, um, but you get special points for doing certain things. So basically the better your profile is, you get more points. And right. so they're enticing you to to either disclose more data, um, you know, present more information, connect to other people. So it's it's very much a way of in incentivizing the disclosure of data and and those types of activities. So that's kind of something that's a little little concerning. Again, you see it across multiple platforms. What about America's Army? Yeah, so that's actually a video game created by the U.S. Army back in two thousand two simply to promote recruitment. So they tried to show you more of like a realistic aspect of what it would be like in the army, but like also working on a team, things like that. It's just, and their recruitment numbers actually went up because of this game. Oh, that's horrifying. I I joined the army in 2001. (laughs) I, so I was in, I think I was probably in boot camp or like some sort of army training in 2002 when this came out. So luckily I did not play this game. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it, it's a little terrifying that they used a first-person shooter game that did not let you revive if you were killed. Right. Like, it's very <laughs> – that's hyper-realistic there. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah. So, again, very uh, interesting way that people use gamification to persuade and to motivate people because joining the army after playing that game, that's – I mean, that's – Pretty persuasive. <laughs> they did a good job there. You know, like mm-hmm. they really drove a behavior with a game. That's amazing. Um, so, you know, when we look at gamification, this is just another form of advertising. That's how this all fits in. You know, we're talking about how we can be manipulated. And a lot of these manipulations all come back to advertising because that is the monetization of these platforms and of basically driving our behavior. So, you know, these types of things, again, it's it's a form of advertising, but we have to question the, the ethical dilemma here. So if you're aware that you're watching a commercial, for example, you're watching TV and you see a McDonald's com- commercial, you know that you are being you know, persuaded or asked or, you know, urged to buy something, to do something, to, you know, try the new Big Mac. Um, But with gamification, it's more subtle. So you may not be aware that you're being manipulated. And kind of going back to the first thing we, we talked about with influencers, unless there is some sort of disclosure, which largely this is something that's being mandated and it's hard to enforce, but it is, you know, enforceable, if you don't know that you're being advertised to, how ethical is that behavior? So as we see all of these different formats and uh, connections to our lives manifest on digital platforms, in social media, in you know on the internet, how do we decide? You know what is ethical marketing? What's ethical advertising? What do you think? How do you feel about that? Do you want to know you're being advertised to? Absolutely. Like, obviously now I've paid more attention to the manipulation tactics, but they work so well. They do. I mean, I fall for them every time. (laughs) So I want to know when you're messing with me, you know, when you're advertising to me or when you're trying to do something to me. Yeah. You know? So at the end of the day, basically you just want to know 
that someone's making money with your information. You want right. to know that someone is potentially mm-hmm. seeking to persuade you or push you in a direction. Absolutely. I think that's fair. Something that I have um, saw in the social dilemma, and you've said it to me multiple times before as well, if you're not paying for the product, then you yourself are the product. Right. Right. So we talk about all these free services. Right. Google's free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Except those ads that they're presenting you, they're mm-hmm. getting paid for. You are the product. Right. They're getting paid to show you an ad. And if they're effective in getting you at clicking on that ad, they're going to make more money because they're going to sell more ads. So yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, if we keep that in mind, um, I think that we're better off because I don't necessarily think that there's much to do about it. Right. But it's the idea of recognizing it so that when it's used to sell you a really great hair care product, you know, on TikTok, that's cool. You know, <laughs> I, I see that your frizz is low, Victoria. So oh, props. <laughs> <laughs> your frizz is under control. Thank but you. when it's, it. yeah, but when it's used to manipulate people's beliefs about science or, um, you know, political agendas or policies or, you know, moral or social issues, that's where we start to step into a darker territory. Right. So we just have to remember that these same platforms are seeking to make money. And whether the person um, paying the money is selling, uh, you know, a fancy new conditioner or they're selling a decision for millions of people to vote for a particular candidate or, uh, you know, take a particular action against some policy, there's no way to tell what's behind that. So we just have to keep that in mind. And so we hope that in discussing different ways that these platforms and these tech companies and these methods um, can be used to manipulate your decisions, uh, that you just remember what Victoria mentioned. You are the product. So be aware. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us today on the Cybercats. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you found today's show valuable, be sure to meow at us and rate us five stars wherever you listen or simply tell a friend. Stay safe online and remember, cats have nine lives. You don't. <laughs>